what we're going to look do here is look at the final, as I said, a key value upon which Border City Church is being built. And uh, specifically, this week is going to be biblical structure and pattern and order. So this is going, all of it's been theological, I guess you could say. I understand that perhaps a lot of us don't during the week go home and in our daily devotionals read about biblical structure and design for the church. Uh, if you're in my shoes, maybe you do more so. However, it is important, and, it, and there are key values for, um, for, for all of us in that. And the reason is because of this. Something that we've been discussing over the past couple weeks is this, that the church, see, we've had it wrong. We've looked at church as all about meetings. Am I right? If we're really honest, a lot of us feel like a successful church is a church that has good meetings and with it, maybe perhaps lots of people. Now, I, for one, just to make it clear, am all, I love good, powerful meetings. I love it, honestly. And if you're going to have them, I love it when there's tons of people there to, to witness it. However, that in and of itself does not mean you have a healthy church or a strong church, or a church that is fulfilling the biblical mandate of what church actually is. Church is making disciples. That's what the church is here for. And disciples, so church actually, can I say, is incidental to the, to the uh, goal or to the commission that Jesus gave of making disciples. Does that make sense? We have church because he's given us a mission. Church facilitates that. And really, discipleship making isn't even really the issue. There's actually a broader context, even broader than discipleship making, and it's this. It's the kingdom of God populating the earth, the kingdom of God coming here on earth as it is in heaven. Discipleship is simply a means through which what I have not just heard about of the kingdom of God, but actually had built into me as I followed the king of that kingdom as he's led me into freedom in certain areas or empowerment in other areas, as I follow my king into that, I then have authority to give away to help other people down the path that I've been uh, going on. That's what discipleship is, and that's what the kingdom of God spreading from one person into another looks like. The church is just incidental to all that. Make sense? The church is not a blob that we just kind of have a whole bunch of people and we hope somehow we just throw spiritual food at them and somehow they get built into what they've been called to be. There is pattern and design in the scripture according to how Jesus has, has desired for his church to be built. And if we want to follow him, it would be wise for us to give serious uh, attention to what he has said clearly in the scriptures regarding uh, the building of his church because we want it to fulfill what it's called to be. How many of you want this thing to actually fulfill what it's called to be? I'm not into coming week after week and doing this and that and the other if it's not actually going to go down the track that he has ordained. I want that. And so that's what we're, that's what we're going to be looking at today and why we're looking at it today. Now, many of you would know that God... Uh, ordained that Noah would build an ark, right? And if you read the context of that portion of scripture, he gave very specific instructions on how that ark was to be built. Measurements, what type of wood, gopher wood. 
I don't know how the heck, given the dimensions of that boat, how he ever got gopher wood, which is quite dense and heavy, to do it, but there were very specific dimensions, right? It wasn't arbitrarily up to Noah to just choose how he was to build the ark. And that same God told uh, the Israelites to create a tent of meeting while they were wandering in the wilderness with very specific dimensions and instructions of what was to be and to where it was to be and exactly what materials to use. And then that same God led his people to building a temple in the holy city of Jerusalem and gave them very specific instructions on what materials to use and where this goes and that goes and this kind of thing. And somehow we think... That in the New Testament, it's just whatever you want to do, folks. Well, the cool thing is, we're not, as Aaron was saying, bound to just some rigorous form. That there's life. It's organic. It's not an organization. It, there's life. We follow a living Jesus who leads us day by day. And, and the way we present ourselves and do church, can I say, can be living and organic and changeable. But there are foundations of how he has designed this, the overall structure of his church to be that are not negotiable. They're, they're part of how he's called it to be built, and it's a reflection of the kingdom of God manifesting in the earth through the church. Okay? Now we get in the, the idea. So the same God we would all know has... Um, if we believe in, in God, we, we know that there's an ecosystem and in this earth. And uh, how many of you know there, the ecosystem is a reality? Perhaps there are some politicians who, who uh, maybe I'm stepping on political toes, but, and I don't mean to, but perhaps there are some people who don't think that the ecosystem matters, but we can't do whatever we want to nature and expect it to form at optimal capacity. Am I right or am I wrong? Can't do whatever you want. Uh, some of you know the Dust Bowl stories from the Midwest in like the 1940s, I think it was. And that was all a, a result of farming techniques that did not comply with how the ecosystem should work. In the same way, there are tomatoes. Anybody ever planted tomatoes before? So we are good, kind of hipster-ish people in Detroit, and we have an urban garden in our backyard now because that's the thing to do. And uh, we've got tomatoes growing in this garden. Now, tomatoes have very, very heavy fruit. And if you just allow it to grow as it, as it will uh, uh, naturally without any support system, it, the, the fruit may die or it certainly isn't going to be bearing optimal fruit. So God or the tomato plant, let's say, the tomato plant is designed a certain way. The ecosystem is designed a certain way. A tomato plant is designed a certain way. And if you use steaks or some kind of a structure to help it grow, it will be able to produce optimal capacity in the same way the church has designed. And we can't just arbitrarily do whatever we want and essentially make ourselves to be God. He's God. He's got the design. We look to him. So having said all of that, let's look at uh, some of the word of God over the next few minutes. What, here's, here, here's the simplicity, because I, I love that God is actually, though he's brilliant, he, his truth is simple. And it doesn't require a, doc, a doctorate of divinity to, to actually understand the things of the kingdom. They're actually a heart issue. And what we're talking about today is actually much more of a heart issue than a structure issue. Does that make sense? So, what we're going to be looking at is the, the, the structure, and here it is. The church is composed of these, these peoples right here. Believers, 
In other words, anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus becomes a part of the universal church, the global, eternal, universal church. That's one group of people. But then you have local churches. The, the church is made up of local churches. And that's God's design. And it breaks my heart to see people who have been hurt in church and go wandering and aren't part of a church. Why? Because shame on them. They ought to be good churchgoers. No, because it's outside of the design of the Father. And he's designed us to be knit into family. That's why. So then there's local churches in which there are, here it is, elders. You might want to call them pastors, but biblically speaking, it would be, it would be elders. Then you've got deacons and believers. Cool? Biblical pattern in order. Elder, within a local church, elders, deacons, and pastors. I mean, uh, and believers. El- elders, deacons, and believers. This is important as we walk f- forward as a local church to just understand some of, just kind of, again, laying, putting a stake in the ground. This is the biblical conviction that we have here and that we have within our partnerships outside of here with the NCMI team. So Acts 14.23 Perhaps I've wet your appetite some to find out what the heck we're talking about, this elders and deacons and believers stuff. And, uh, and I failed to say translocal team itself, an apostolic team or, or a team of fivefold gifts. There's various ways you could say that. In other words, a team that, come, that you partner with as a local church and invite to help build you from the outside. In other words, you're not an island unto yourself. You've got people coming in and partnering with you and to which the church can, can be accountable to and that sort of thing. So elders and pastors, Acts 14.23, if you have any kind of a Bible or Bible app, you can turn there with me. Um, Elders are essential to local church, sorry, and make a group become a local church. So what do I mean by that? When Paul the Apostle, formerly known as Aaron pointed out, Saul of Tarsus, Uh, was going around, some of you would know, this guy planted churches throughout Mediterranean Europe. And when he did it, he would herald the gospel in a city, hectic stuff. He would oftentimes be stoned and beaten and risk his life, herald the gospel. And, but there was also powerful miracles being done by this guy. And there were people who would believe in that community. And he would kind of gather them together and then he would leave them. If you study his, his apostolic journeys, go to another town, do the same thing. Go to another town, do the same thing. And if you read just that portion of the scripture, it can look like the guy's totally irresponsible because he's just preaching the gospel, people are receiving Jesus, and then he ditches them. And he goes and goes and goes and goes, but then he gets to this last city and he decides to do like a boomerang effect and go back to every single one of the cities where he had been, gathers them, stays with them for a season, builds them in their faith, essentially makes disciples, and here in Acts 14.23, which is this very first journey that I'm referring to, it says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, elders, according to Paul and his tactics in planting churches, were essential in a church. He didn't just ordain elders because he thought it was a good idea. It was essential to a church becoming a church. Is that cool? Not only that, but it says every church. So there's this idea that when 
somebody receives Jesus, how many of you know you become a part of the, the church, right? But there's a confusion about this where people have begun to believe that because they're a part of the church, the global, eternal, universal church, that they don't need to be in a church or a part of a local church. And here we see in the scripture the differentiating of the church with every church. Because in the New Testament, you see the need for a local community that has order and design. There are leaders uh, actually, there are leaders in a church, and leadership is not a four-letter word, by the way. It's, it's okay to be leading, as long as it's not uh, kind of oppressive and that sort of thing. We believe in leadership. Leadership is essential. God is the one who instituted leadership, and he's used it from the beginning throughout the history of what he's, what he's done in, through people in the earth. And so elders are a, an essential part of becoming a church, and it's not just the church, eternal and universal. It's made up of various individual churches, each of which have people who are together, who are giving their gifts and their resources, like which was done with Tamora today, giving of their talents and their time, or giving of their resources, sharing life together, and growing together, and reaching their community and beyond together. That's local church, okay? Elders are ordained by others in a local church context. This is important because you've got somebody who decides to go start a community in their living room and that can be with the greatest of intentions and they start calling it a church. A, to be leading a church for the safety of the flock, God has ordained that everyone who takes that place of ordained leadership within a local church context is ordained by people who have the, 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 the goods to be able to recognize the call of God and have the authority to be able to, to say it. Now, when I say authority, I mean spiritual authority. So every believer, you do not need to be ordained to fulfill your call in this world. Am I right? I mean, do we understand? This isn't about a hierarchical structure. Uh, it's not to say that, that every believer can can, they already have the authority to do what they've been called to do. But when it comes to leading the people of God with an ordained position of God-given authority within a local church context, that is to be ordained for the safety of the, of the flock and for the safety of the leader themselves. How many of you know uh, power corrupts? And you know what I'm saying? And absolute power corrupts absolutely. You... you, you uh, it's, there, there needs to be some kind of an accountability in place. And, and uh, so the idea is no one appoints themselves to be an elder in a church. So the minute you hear that Bishop so-and-so is leading a church and who says that they're Bishop so-and-so, well, they did. And, you know, their yes men around them have, have agreed. That's not, that's not a good thing. Uh, but as in the case of Paul the Apostle, who was in a church called Antioch, the Holy Spirit said to a team, separate for me now, Paul and Barnabas, to the work that I've called them in Acts chapter 13. And it was there that a team recognized what Paul already felt he was called to do. The team felt the timing of the Holy Spirit around that and the commissioning of the Holy Spirit laid hands upon him and sent him. And when he went to go plant those churches, he had been sent by God and with the faith of the community that he had been planted in. That's what we want. 
These things that I'm sharing with you right now are not theory to, to Minda and myself. This is, this is, if I can say it this way without sounding too churchy, we've, we've been through the fire <laughs> around these, these things. These are principles that we know from, from the, from the uh, Word of God that we've walked through and have been tested in and have come out on the other side clinging to them, loving them, and seeing how God worked these things into our lives for our good. So... Elders are ordained by others in a local church context. Where do we get that from? If you look with me, Titus 1, 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So what are we talking about? Who is this and who are we talking to? This is the Apostle Paul writing to somebody on his team by the name of Titus and identifying that when Paul sent Titus to the city called Crete. One of the missions that he was on was to ordain or appoint elders in every church or in every city. So the idea is those guys did not self-appoint themselves. Elders are to be ordained by others and to be ordained in a local church context. If you read on with me, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. We can go on. These ideas of what Paul is saying. How would Paul know which people fit the criteria that Paul said were the requirements for eldership? How would he know that? Would he just kind of look at them and like pray, God, is it this one? Does this guy, is this guy hospitable? I think, he, I think his children are insubordinate. No, that, how would he know? You don't have to answer. Maybe it's a rhetorical question. What's that? Relationship, exactly. So the whole point is, Elders are ordained by others, but it's in a local church context that their character is made known, that there's a reputation amongst the people uh, where, where their character has been proven and made known. That's why elsewhere in the scriptures it says to not lay hands on anyone suddenly. You don't want to put people into place who haven't been proven over a period of time. How many of you know that's safety of the flock? So you can have somebody who is powerfully gifted, powerfully anointed, wonderful. It doesn't mean that they need to be leading a church or on an eldership team today. They could preach a house on fire. They can lay hands on the sick and see people healed. That's awesome. It doesn't mean that they've actually proven their character in a local church context for the protection of the flock. Now, I understand also you may be thinking, well, who could be an elder then? Because, like, none of us are perfect. It's, it's true. Like, there's no perfect person who's but, but there needs to be that sense of proven character. They've, they've, uh, they, they're not falling off the bandwagon. They're not, they're not about to run away with, you know, some kind of an affair or anything. They've, they've proven themselves over a period of time. So anyone leading a church should be ordained to do so. Ordination essentially has three different parts to it. It's God setting this person into an office or into a place of leadership, number one. But then secondarily, it's those of a team 
who have the goods to be able to recognize the call of God, those also agreeing with God that this person is being set into a place today. And then thirdly, it's the proving of character in a local church context, in a family context. Why am I even saying this? Because we don't believe that if you go off into seminary and you get a theological degree, that necessarily qualifies you for church leadership. And what we want to see in this church, Border City Church, are other churches being planted. And right now could be a proving ground for some people who are going to be leading some of those churches elsewhere in the days to come. And this is an opportunity to be, uh, not to be, you know, proving yourself in front of people or anything, but to allow God to mature you and to walk a journey because he's preparing you for something awesome into the future. Cool? To fulfill our mission, we have to see other churches planted, what God has called this church to do. And uh, so we want elders to be raised up within this church and many other gifts. It's not just elders by any stretch, but, but uh, I'm just wanting to share something of the heart of spiritual leadership. So as we are a family on mission, developing followers of Jesus and multiplying ourselves, we need elders to lead the way. Now let me make something very clear about that. How many of you know that God tells In Ephesians chapter 6, God tells children to obey their parents. Okay? You you agree with me? You may not agree with the scripture, but you agree that that's in the scripture, right? How many of you also know that when he told kids to do that, there was not going to be one perfect parent in the world that would be fully worthy of the children's honor? Right? Right? So the reality is, as we have elders, and there will be an increasing eldership team in this church in the days to come, and not one of them will be perfect. And every single one of them will have reason for you to say, I can't follow them. And it's not to say that you just blindly follow some person or or anything like that, but we need to have a culture as a church of leaning into the the reality that God has chosen people to do his work. You and me, all of us, every single one of us. And that the local church is to be led by God through, in part, people. That's a tragic concept, isn't it? And somehow, by God's grace, he's chosen it to be that way, by his design. My job isn't to make sure that that person, Tyron Daniel, great example for me, he leads the team that I serve on. My job isn't to make sure that he's perfect so that I can follow him. My job is to do my part. And if there's a reason, biblically, that I cannot, before God, follow him anymore, that's fine. If he's, like, fully in error. But generally speaking, my heart is to get behind the guy and say, lead us, Captain. And to bring all the supply that I've got into that picture. Right? Leadership isn't a a fun thing in in America today, by the way. We don't like leadership. And we've seen a lot of wrong leadership. But I I hope that in this, God can do a work of healing in the heart to where even at the risk of maybe being hurt again, God can heal our heart to where we can rightly relate in the church uh, with one another according to how he's designed the church. So I I hope you can hear the heart there. It's never about submit or anything like that. Nothing like that. Sorry? Leadership serves, that's right, yeah. Uh, but, but the idea is our faith ultimately, my faith isn't in Crocker over there and his faith isn't in me, 
Our faith is in God, and He, God, has a design for the church. And if I trust Him, then if I know it's His design, I can throw my faith and my, my weight into it and trust and expect that it will bring good in my life and in the local church. So what are the role of elders? Let's, let's briefly go through that, and then we'll hit on the other things, and uh, deacons, and then translocal team, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. I know for some of you, maybe this isn't, again, this isn't what your devotional consists of on a daily basis. It is important for us to say these things because explicit communication is important. Role of elders, Acts chapter 20. Here, the Apostle Paul goes to the area of Ephesus and he meets with some of the elders that had been appointed in this church that he had planted in Ephesus, a robust, awesome church. And uh, he's on his way. And he's like kind of telling them like, you know, I'm on my way to, to, to death, most likely, sayonara, you know, final, final words with them. And it says in Acts 20, verses 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. And if you skip with me down to verse 28, so who was he talking to here? Elders of a church in Ephesus, right? Skip over to verse 28. This is what he says to these elders. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Again, we're talking about the role of elders. What do elders do in the church? They first take heed to themselves. Before they can even take heed of the flock they lead, they need to be looking after themselves. You can only lead people if you lead yourself first. So take heed to yourself, but also to the flock. Notice also that he's speaking to a group. So it's not just one person looking after a flock. It's a plurality of eldership. It's a team that they should look after themselves as individuals. They as a team should look after themselves as a team, which can I say back in Johannesburg, we had an eldership of, of three particular individuals and we, we submitted one to another on very personal things. How we handled our finances, how our relationships with our wives and our children were going keeping ourselves in a healthy, strong place. Why? Because that's for the betterment of the flock that we lead. Okay? So take heed to yourselves and secondarily to that, to the flock. Let's move on. Uh, Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If you look with me to 1 Peter 5.1, he, Peter, the apostle Peter, reiterates some of these concepts also speaking to the elders, again, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. We're talking about roles of eldership. Here we go. Shepherd, speaking to elders, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for the dishonest gain, in other words, monetary gain, but eagerly. Uh, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. A couple ideas here quickly. One, plurality in a church plant. You may not have the privilege of having a plurality of elders just because of numbers. So right now we have Steve and Deborah Sudworth as much as they can from a four-hour Chicago operating as close as they can to an eldership capacity Uh, here in this church, but in the days to come, the idea is there there would be a team. And though that team has a leader, every single elder on that church is, is, I mean, in that team is accountable to one another. Cool? That keeps us uh, grounded and protected. I have been in churches that fell apart 
Why? Because the guy leading it had no one who could speak, guy or gal, had no one who, who could speak into uh, his life. He had elders who were basically businessmen in the church and had something of a spiritual heartbeat, but nobody that he was accountable to, and the thing went kaput, and the disaster and the immorality and the whatever else uh, came out, and at the root of all of that is Lone Ranger, accountable to no one. And that particular individual has gone down a tough and arduous journey since then and is in a great place today, but we don't want that. We don't want that here, and we don't want that in churches that come out of here. Cool? I like this. Thanks, Kurt. So with plurality, just a couple other ideas, is taking heed of yourself and of the flock, overseeing the direction of the church, having that place of looking over the flock and looking at the lives of the people and helping move the people, hopefully towards what God has for them in the way of spiritual maturity. Somebody needs to be doing that. That's what is meant by overseeing the flock. Uh, shepherding the flock, not being a lord over, but rather leading out in front, um, providing care and leadership, and then being examples. That, that it should be that an elder's life teaches not just by word but by action how they live their lives and again that's proven in a local church context of uh of 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 how they of of the reality and the substance of their lives so elders are god's design for our good secondarily would be deacons anybody ever heard of a deacon deacon simply means servant every single believer is to be a deacon in that sense cool uh, that simply means servant. However, there is in the scripture the office of a deacon. That is, that is clear in scripture. So I've heard people say, well, I don't really believe in deacons. Everyone's called to serve. That's cool. Awesome. Let's have every, rather err on that side. However, the word of God has said for the local church, you need deacons. So who am I to say, oh, I'm just not going to do deacons because everyone's called to be a servant. God instituted that there would be deacons. And that's an office of responsibility, again, uh, based on proven <clears throat> um, um, character and these kinds of things. So if you look with me to Acts chapter 6, and by the way, another value in this church is the word of God. So why am I looking at all these scripture references? Because we don't just kind of do whatever we want. Even though we're free to be creative within the Word of God, and God gives us creative ideas of what it can look like, and we're not stuck to a form, it all comes out of revelation that's rooted in God's Word. Anything else is actually us becoming our own God. He's the God of the church. We follow Him. But as our, His sons and daughters, He gives us great liberty to find expression and um, liberty in that sense. So Acts chapter 6 I love this story. Many of you know, first church ever in Jerusalem. We've got awesome kind of like party going on. They're eating like on a regular basis. And at some point, the Grecian widows begin to complain because in the daily distribution of the food, they're not getting all of their portion and they start to complain. Anybody seen these kinds of things happen in church sometimes where there's a little bit of a complaint? And so then you've got 12 apostles who are like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to deal with this Grecian widow food thing, and I love them, but, you know, we need to be praying, we need to be preparing, and this is getting a bit overwhelming. And so this is what they do. They, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and uh, we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, uh, faith and uh, I won't go through the list. It says, verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And listen to this. This is what happened as a result of deacons being established in the life of the church. You ready? Verse 7, so the Word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Direct result of the office of deacon being formally set into place where people were taking a load off of the shoulders of the apostles. They were taking a load off of even the shoulders of the people. In this case, the Grecian widows in the church. And it, the result was that leaders were more released to focus on leading and the ministry of the word, which f resulted in more of the word of God spreading and disciples being made. How many of you want to see that? So what I think I can commend this church is that we have many deacon-spirited members uh, already within the ranks. I think that that's, from my heart, a joyous reason to celebrate. Church plants that don't have that are maybe miserable, <laughs> to be honest. And I have, I've certainly seen that. So, I mean, I think there's a huge commendation to many people who've thrown their weight sacrificially without any care for any kind of recognition or anything and just doing it because they love Jesus. Um, I think there's huge commendation for that. Uh, but let's say we need more. We need, we'll need more in the days to come, and there's always room for more. Deacon ministry releases leaders to lead. Deacon ministry results in the word of God spreading and disciples increasing. You still with me? Last thing. And again, explicit communication is important. So I think it's important for us just to take a moment as a local church and say these things. This is how we're building. This is how God has instituted his church to, to operate. And um, finally, a value of ours is the input of what we call fivefold gifts or translocal gifts or Ephesians 4 ministry. There's a lot of different terms for it. But if you look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, you've got five gifts mentioned, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Let's look, listen to this. It says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, if you look at the seventh verse of Ephesians 4, it says he, he, he went up into heaven and he gave gifts to men. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left his church in the earth and he gave specific gifts which are representations of his ministry into the church. So in other words, Jesus Christ himself is the apostle, right? Jesus Christ himself is the prophet. He is the evangelist. He's the pastor. He's the teacher. Each of those are expressions of himself. And notice that he divided them severally into five so that no person could occupy all of who Jesus is because only he stands in that place, right? But why did he give those gifts into the church? And by the way, do we worship the, the people who occupy these, these gifts, right? No. So while we recognize the gift was given by Jesus himself and it's an expression of Jesus and we can receive from Jesus, it's not about the gift, but we do need to honor the giver of the gift and receive what the giver of the gift wants to speak to, uh, to us through the gift. And Ephesians um, 4.11 says, Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service. Who in here are his people? 
So Christ, the Jesus that you serve, gave these gifts for you, for your benefit, to equip you and me for works of service. Why did he do that? So that the body of Christ may be built up. How many of you want to see that? Well, what does that look like? Until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge or the revelation of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, what we are doing here in this earth is maturing into a place where Jesus in his fullness is represented to this earth in his, in his fullness, his glory being seen. That's what we're building. I thought we were building like a church on the corner so that we could have 500 people and like hopefully some programs. We're built, let it be known, what our aim is, is Jesus. That is our aim. That's our orientation and that's our destination. Jesus, becoming like him, him living through us, maturing into him. That, my friends, is a life I want to live. So, it, so we, why do we believe in the input of, of the translocal gifts? Well, we need to be built. So we invite people who are on the NCMI team primarily, not exclusively, but primarily we as a local church will be partnering with that particular apostolic team, which is a team of fivefold gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We don't even really punt the whole title thing. Tyron, when he comes in here, let me tell you now, he is without a doubt, the, has the gift of an apostle. Without a doubt. And so let's expect as a local church to receive an apostolic deposit next week as he's with us, both in the dinners that he'll be having with people and the lunches as well as the Sunday expression. That's what we want. We need that. And the fruit of that is that we become apostolic. You have a, a prophet who tra trains the, the uh, people or equips the people in the works of, of service. What's the result of that? People become prophetic. How many of you want to become prophetic? You get a, a five-fold prophet who can equip us to become prophetic and lead prophetic lives and live prophetically and, and serve uh, prophetically. So how do they do that? It's preaching, teaching, and as well you can throw in there mentoring and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and finally, I'll just say that it, it's people, it's, I, we believe that it is people who are part of an apostolic team, like the Apostle Paul, if you were to study his ministry, which some of you may have never even thought of doing that, but if you study the Apostle Paul's ministry, he, as he went about planting churches, in the course of time, people began to join him as a team, like Titus that we mentioned earlier, like Timothy and others who were sent into other places, and they formed an apostolic team of people who had fivefold gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And we believe that it's those people, like we'll see in this last scripture I'll read, Titus 1.5, who are in the business of working with eldership teams and in the business of ordaining elders. Titus 1.5 says this, For this reason I left you in Crete, Paul speaking to Titus, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So who appoints elders? It's apostolic team. And... Um, so they come and equip, they equip us for works of service, but they also work with eldership teams. The eldership team, each member of it, holds themselves accountable and are accountable to themselves, but as a team, they also work with something beyond themselves, translocally, called an apostolic team. I hope this has made sense.
So uh, could we just, I would like for us to respond in this, in this kind of way. Um, and just in the way of responding to the Lord is I believe, as I mentioned earlier, that, and I want to be very gracious and gentle as I, as I say this, because I know that it's a significant thing. It's not an insignificant thing at all, that there have been many people who have experienced bad experiences with leadership. Some of that could have been in a church context. Some of that could have been in a family context. Some of that could have been in a school or a work context. Whatever the case may be, experience bad experiences that have been painful. And pain causes our heart. If we respond one way, it can cause our heart to become hardened and in a self-protective mechanism, keep out that which we associate that pain with and the, and the, and the horror of it is that we end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Does that make sense? And there are many people who have rejected leadership as a whole because they've experienced pain associated with leadership. And so I would like to ask us, first and foremost, could we bring any such pain that we may have, bad experiences, and invite God to heal those areas? And then the goal being that we can follow Jesus and relate to leadership as he would have us relate, not because of the leader or their benefit or whatever the case may be, but because it's for our good and it's for the furtherance of, of God's purposes being done. But again, I don't want to treat that as an insignificant issue. I know that 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 can be a deep thing, and that can be something that may not be something that we can even deal with in a moment right now uh, in, in, in its entirety. But we, what we can do is we can turn our heart to Jesus, and we can intentionally invite him into that space where we forgive the leader and where we ask God to use that experience to turn around to teach us things that would be for our benefit because he's awesome at doing that. And so, so if you could just maybe close your eyes and, and sincerely bring that before the Lord. Lord, I know that there are many of us, including myself, experienced painful, hurtful situations with leaders, even in your church. And Lord, we want to recognize you weren't the one who did those things to us. You weren't the author of the pain. But Lord, you can use those painful experiences in your amazing way to work around actually for our good. So Lord, we want to bring before you any such experience that we've had, yield it to you. We want to invite you to uh, into any place that we may have hardened in our hearts. And Lord, we don't want to allow a wall to be built up that would keep us from being able to relate to leaders and to others uh, as you would have because of pain that we've had in our past. Lord, we, we ask you to heal us. We ask you to bring healing 
into those situations and we ask you to uh, cause us to be able to trust you and to follow you in your ways. And we thank you that it results in good, it results in your kingdom expanding and your work being done. And Father, we pray as a local church family that as it is in heaven, as you have designed your church to be built, we want to pray that it would be here. Let it be established here and let it start in our own hearts. Let it be according to your design, your order, your structure. We trust in you. You are the builder of the church, the designer of the church. Let it be done in our own heart. Establish these truths and these realities in our own heart, Father. And, and Lord, build your church off of that, that many in the days to come would see your glory as we uh, uh, have a church built according to your pattern, your design, your order. In Jesus' name, amen. Go for it. Yeah, Minda's got something. I know we're getting late here, but I just, I really feel that God wants to say a couple things quickly. Um, Paul and I really do pray for you guys regularly, by name. We pray for you, and we feel, you know, I feel at times that God shows me things that I just pray over. Um, sometimes they're not to be shared, and sometimes I feel they are. Um, and I just felt two things highlighted to me quickly tonight that I feel I'm supposed to share. And Aaron, I actually have something for you. Um, that I felt God gave me a couple months ago, actually, but I feel like I'm supposed to share it. And sometimes I feel when we share something publicly, it's so that we can all agree on it together for that person. Um, God is so faithful to you, Aaron, and I, I believe he's going to show you his faithfulness. And what I heard him say is that he's coming after you and that you're like a, a, an, a jetliner, and for a little while some of the flight data disappeared off the radar the flight tracker, you know, like you can track a flight. I'll even like track flights when my family's flying and you watch that plane move. And for a little while, some of that data disappeared. But I just felt God wants to say to you that you're on track and you're going to reach your destination. And this is the scripture I felt that he gave me for you. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I'm like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet I will leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. Yet Jerusalem says the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would never forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. And actually, Jason and Courtney, I felt something for you a few weeks ago, and it was actually before we planted the garden, Courtney. Courtney and I recently planted a garden, and we planted tomato plants. But I was praying for you guys one day, and I just saw you guys as tomato plants. With, you know, tomato plants have juicy, big fruit on them. And they're heavy, and Paul actually referenced it earlier, and that's what made me remember this tonight, is that a, a tomato plant has heavy fruit, and on its own, it's, it's designed to produce big fruit, juicy fruit, and lots of fruit. But it's, this, it's the, um, the attaching of the plant to a stake or to something strong 
that enables that plant to grow big and to produce the fruit. And if you don't attach, if you don't attach the, the plant to a post, you know, Courtney, the fruit lies on the ground, it rots, it pulls the plant down, and it, it hinders the fruitfulness of that plant. And I just saw you guys as being this, these tomato plants. You are designed to produce so much fruit. God is going to bring so much fruit through your lives. But the local church, I believe, is the picture God gave me. The local church, as you guys are attached to that post, that allows you to grow and to produce more fruit than you ever could um, if you weren't attached. And so I just think that speaks something of the relationship that we have as a local church with you guys to allow that fruit to be produced in your lives. So let's agree on that together. Let's be expectant to see these things in one another's lives, right? Is that it? Can we pray? Father, thank you for all that you've said here today. Lord, we're so expectant and we're so thankful for what you're building. And we just wrap our hearts around your, your truth. Lord, would you allow it to settle our hearts and speak, continue to speak in this week, Lord God. Thank you for blessing every home, every person. Take care of the flock this week, God, and use us, Lord. Everywhere we go, use us. We're yours. Amen.